Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone... Wednesday, the AltaCast here on the 22nd of March, 2017. This month is moving right along. There's just never enough time. Hey, welcome to the AltaCast. I'm your host, Pam Benjamin. Hanging out with you. Excited today to give you a lot of history about abortion. Why not? Because, hey, you know what? It wasn't illegal back in the day. It's been around forever. People have been doing people women have been making choices about their reproductive health for oh thousands and thousands of years. It's amazing that we're um, you know sentient creatures that can take care of ourselves and our own bodies. Wow. Alrighty. So yeah, we're gonna talk about the history of abortion a little bit today. We'll get the Drug Policy Alliance news update. Also the news from NARL, Pro Choice America in these times when they try to roll back our freedoms. Let me see. No. <laughs> oh, it's so scary. Um, just don't make me have kids because I don't want to usher them into this new scary, scary world that we live in. Uh, Latoya, the Sheriff of Truth, will be joining me around 1 o'clock. That's exciting stuff. Um. Uh, you know, I, it'll be interesting. I haven't talked to her in a while. She has a new job. It's going to be fun. And I've been like, you know, esoteric as crap lately. I'm like, oh, God. Uh, I, like, you know, it's it's one of the things, one of the reasons I'm so, like, interested in abortion and reproductive rights is that you know, I'm not going to choose to birth a child out of my body for many reasons. Um, and, you know, some, like, sometimes... Uh, it makes me feel like the world is against me because I'm some weird witch because I'm not using my baby maker like I'm supposed to as a woman or you know I feel these external societal pressures to be to accomplish the role of woman in the way that you know society deems fit and although I'm a and the feminist and this post-feminist, you know, fourth wave feminism. But it's still, I still have, like, I, sometimes I feel like the world's against me. And, and what a narcissist jerk I am, you know? <laughs> but that's why I don't have children, because, the, you know, poor children, you know, we didn't, their parents are narcissists and, oh, they just weren't ready to have them, but they had to or whatever. I don't understand the big issues anymore. But today, I thought we'd start with a little history, um, the surprising history about abortion in the United States. And uh, yeah, so the, the, the practice of abortion, the termination of pregnancy has been known since ancient times. And it's only become illegal since like the 19th century in the United States. Um, so I've got a couple different websites up I'm going to be jumping in between 
uh, of course, Wikipedia, uh, the national abortion website, which is uh, prochoice.org. There's a nice little CNN thing here about the surprising history of abortion. And then 2017 will be a big year for reproductive rights. Here's what will happen and here's what's at stake. Um, it was an overview that was done by uh, a website called Vox. So I'll get to that as well. But I'm going to jump kind of in between all of them because not all of it is uh, pertinent. So learn today about abortifacient herbs or abortifacient maybe herbs, which were um, ways that abortions were provided uh, a long, long time ago. Use of sharpened implements. Ah, the application of abdominal pressure and other techniques. It goes all the way back to the, the writers and... Uh, the written evidence of abortion reflects interests of class and caste. The Code of Hammurabi of circa 1760 BC specified fines for causing a miscarriage through assault with the amount varying according to the woman's social rank. Whoa. Uh, the Vedic and Smriti, S-M-R-T-I, laws of India reflected a, a concern with preserving the male seed of three upper castes and the religious courts imposed various penances for the woman or excommunication of the priest who provided the abortion. The only evidence of the death penalty being mandated for abortion in ancient law is found in Assyrian law. The Code of Asura circa 1075 BC and this is imposed only on a woman who procures an abortion against her husband's wishes. Ooh, sounds like Indiana right now. The first recorded evidence of induced abortion is from the Egyptian Ebers Papyrus in 1550 BC. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, it's not like this is new, <laughs> right? Uh, many of the methods employed in early and primitive cultures were non-surgical physical activities like strenuous labor, climbing, paddling, weightlifting, or diving were common techniques. Others included the use of irritant leaves, fasting, bloodletting, pouring hot water onto the abdomen, and lying on a heated coconut shell. In primitive cultures, techniques developed through observation, adaptation of obstetrical methods, and transculturation physical means of inducing abortion, including battery, exercise, and tightening the girdle were often used as late as the early modern period among ancient women. Wow. Um, archaeological discoveries indicate early surgical attempts at extraction of a fetus. However, such methods are not believed to have been common, given the infrequency in which they are mentioned in medical texts. Yeah, because you wouldn't want to cut people open the infection and, you know... 8th century Sanskrit text instructs women wishing to induce an abortion to sit over a pot of stewed onions. Mm. The technique of a massage abortion involving the application of pressure to the pregnant abdomen has been practiced in Southeast Asia for centuries. And uh, it says there's a boss relief in the temple of Angkor Wat in Cambodia dated 1150 depicts a demon performing such an abortion on a woman who's been sent to the underworld. They have that one. That's a nice little picture. Pretty cool. He's got his hand up there. He's grabbing it in. There you go. So it was real stuff. Uh, Japanese documents show records of induced abortion as early as the 12th century. Became more prevalent during the Edo period, especially among peasant class. Yeah, of course. Uh, 
statues of the Bodhisattva Jizo erected in the memory of an abortion, miscarriage, stillbirth, or young childhood death began appearing at least as early as 1710 in a temple in Yokohama. Dang. Maori, who lived in New Zealand before a time of colonialization, terminated pregnancies via miscarriage-inducing drugs, ceremonial methods, and girdling of the abdomen with a restrictive belt. Another source claims the Maori people did not practice abortion for fear of makutu, but did attempt abortion through the artificial induction of premature labor. I mean, I find this all fascinating. Oh, this is great. Pliny the Elder cited refined oil of common rue as a potential arbofacient. Abort, 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 abort to facilitate. I mean, it's like to facilitate abortion. I got it. I got it. Um, anyways, it goes through all these things. Aristophanes wrote about it in 421 BC in a humorous reference in his comedy piece. Hippocrates, the Greek physician, would, invive, would advise prostitutes who became pregnant to jump up and down, touching her buttocks with, the he with her heels at each leap so as to induce miscarriage. Oh, and then there was a, a curette. Other writings attributed him to describe instruments fashioned to dilate the cervix and curette inside the uterus. That's like a little shavy, a Brady thing, you know, scoop it all in, take it all out. Oh, okay. So we know this all existed. Uh, in the Greco-Roman world, this one, it says these one people, the people of Cyrene, the ancient Greeks relied on the herb psyllium as an abortion and contraceptive. The plant, the chief export of Cyrene was driven to extinction, but uh, it is suggested it might've possessed the same abortive properties as some of its closest relatives. And it was so central to the Cyrene economy that most of its coins were embossed with an image of the plant. It's just funny to me that even back in the day that like, we were concerned about, I mean, if you look at the Greco-Roman world, we say, oh, the cradle of civilization. And, and these were issues like to have babies or not have babies. I, I mean, okay. Attitudes toward abortion. Oh, gosh. Uh, the Stoics believed the fetus to be plant-like in nature and not an animal until the moment of birth when it finally breathed air. They therefore found abortion morally acceptable. Aristotle wrote that the line between lawful and unlawful abortion will be marked by the fact of having sensation and being alive. Before that point was reached, Aristotle did not regard abortion as the killing of something human. Aristotle considered the embryo to gain a human soul at 40 days if male and 90 days if female. Before that, it had vegetable and animal souls. Cool. The oath ascribed to Hippocrates forbade the use of pessiaries to induce abortion. Modern scholarship suggests that pessiaries were banned because they were reported to cause vaginal ulcers. This specific prohibition has been interpreted by some medical scholars as prohibiting abortion in a broader sense than by a pessiary. And what is a pessiary, you act? It's a medical device similar to the outside of a diaphragm. And therapeutic pessiaries are used to support the uterus, vagina, bladder, or rectum. Pessiaries are a treatment option for pelvic organ prolapse. A pessiary is most commonly used to treat a prolapse of the uterus. Uh, historically, pessiaries may have been used to perform abortions. Wow, interesting. I've never even heard of that term. Well, cool. Uh, all right, so then, of course, we're, we're interpreting it and then it's changing it and saying, oh. Uh, 
One such interpretation was by Scrivenus Largus, a Roman medical writer, Hippocrates, who founded our profession, laid the foundation for our discipline by an oath in which it was prescribed not to give a pregnant woman a kind of medicine that expels the embryo or fetus. Other medical scholars disagree, believing that Hippocrates sought to discourage physicians from trying dangerous methods to abort a fetus. This may be born out of the fact that the oath originally also prohibited surgery. At the time, it was far more dangerous, dangerous and surgeons were a separate profession from physicians. Woo! Uh, Serenus acknowledges two parties among physicians, those who would not perform abortions, citing the Hippocratic Oath, and the other uh, recommended abortion in cases involving health complications as well as emotional immaturity, and provided detailed suggestions in his work, Gynecology. Although abortion was accepted in Rome, attitudes changed with the spread of Christianity around 211 AD. Emperors Septimus Severus and Caracalla banned abortion as infringing on parental rights. Temporary exile was the punishment. Punishment for abortion in the Roman Republic was generally inflicted as a violation of the father's right to dispose of his offspring. <laughs> because of the influence of Stoicism, which did not view the fetus as a person, the Romans did not punish abortionist homicide. The third century legal compilation Polycentiate, attributed to Julius Paulus Prudentissimus, wrote, the Roman jurist Ulpian wrote in Digest, an unborn child is considered being born as far as its concerns his profits. Despite this, abortive con Abortion continued to be practiced with little or no shame. Let me understand this again. An unborn child is considered being born as far as it concerns his profits. Oh, like you can sell your children? Whoa. Whoa. Interesting. Uh, okay, so the Bible. The Bible's Exodus 21, chapter 21, 22 through 24, describes two fighting and accidentally hitting a pregnant woman in the stomach causing premature birth that does not result in any further injury as a non-capital offense and a non-serious injury unless it results in crime of murder. Commentators such as Bruce Waltke have presented this evidence that God does not regard the fetus as a soul and C. Everett Koop disagreed with this interpretation. Uh, second and third century Christian theologian Tertullian argued that abortion should be performed only in cases with abnormal positioning of the fetus in the womb that would endanger the life of a pregnant woman. St. Augustine in Ecrindon makes passing mention of surgical procedures being performed to remove fetuses which have died in utero. I know if a baby dies and you gotta scrape it out, right? Uh, the early Christian work called the Didache Didache in 150 AD says, do not murder a child by abortion or kill a newborn infant. All right. That's, you know, that's pretty gross. St. Augustine believed that abortion of a fetus animatus, a fetus with a human limbs and shape was murder. However, his beliefs on early stage abortion were similar to Aristotle's, though he could neither deny or affirm which partiality formed fetuses would resurrect as full people at the time of the second coming. Wow. Oh, it sounds like some call me Tim today. Uh, okay, so then it goes into criminalization, which actually I'm gonna I'm gonna jump from uh, Wikipedia to this surprising history of abortion in the United States. This was written last year, and uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read you some CNN. Here we go. Uh, there was a time when abortion simply 
but or there was a time when abortion was simply part of life in the United States. People didn't scream about it in protest and services were marketed openly. Drugs to induce abortions were a booming success, uh, booming business. They were advertised in newspapers and could be bought by pharmacists from physicians and even through the mail. If drugs didn't work, women could visit practitioners for instrumental procedures. The earliest efforts to govern abortions centered on concerns about poisoning, not morality, religion, or politics. It was the mid-19th century, long before abortion became a hot-button issue that it is now. All of this is according to historian Leslie Reagan, whose 1996 book on abortion history in the United States is considered to be one of the most comprehensive to date. Uh, this is a long time ago, but the Supreme Court issued a decision in Whole Woman's Health versus Hellerstedt, which have been called the biggest abortion case to hit the high court in two decades. In a five to three ruling, the high court struck down a controversial Texas abortion law, giving victory to abortion rights groups. But it came as many states have clamored to ramp up abortion restrictions. Since 1973, when Roe v. Wade legalized abortion across the United States, uh, states have enacted more than 1,074 laws to limit access to the procedure. According to the Guttenmacher Institute, a sexual and reproductive rights organization, more than a quarter of these laws passed between 2010 and 2015. It wasn't always like this, said Reagan, a professor of history, medicine, gender, women's studies, and law at the University of Illinois. Illinois, I'm sorry. So how did we get here? With the help of Reagan, author of When Abortion Was a Crime, and the nonprofit Our Bodies Ourselves, we set out to learn what abortion was like in America before 1973 and what we found was full of surprises. All right, the V from centuries ago. In the 18th century until about 1880, abortions were allowed under common law and widely practiced. They were illegal only after quickening, a highly subjective term used to describe when pregnant women could feel the fetus moving. Reagan said, at conception and the earliest stage of pregnancy, before quickening, no one believed that a human life existed. Not even the Catholic Church took this view, Reagan wrote. Rather, than, rather the popular ethic regards, regarding abortion and common law were grounded in the female experience of their own bodies. Though it is considered taboo in Christian traditions until the mid-19th century, the Catholic Church implicitly accepted early abortions prior to insolment, she explained. Not until 1869, at about the same time that abortion became politicized in this country, did the Church condemn abortion. In 1895, it condemned therapeutic abortion, meaning procedures... Oh wait, it, in 1895, it condemned therapeutic abortion, meaning procedures to save a woman's life. Abortions would become criminalized by 1880, except when necessary to save a woman's life. Not at the urging of social or religious conservatives, but under pressure from the medical establishment and the very organization that speaks out in support of abortion excesses, Reagan explained. In the Supreme Court's latest case, the American Medical Association voiced disapproval of the Texas abortion law when it joined the amicus brief led by American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists. Law that, laws that impede the freedom of physicians to provide care using their best medical judgment are not supported by the AMA. The association, an AMA spokesperson said, seeks to limit government interference in the practice of medicine and oppose government regulation of medicine that is unsupported by scientific evidence. 
Back when it was still a fledgling organization, however, it began a crusade in 1857 to make abortion legal, Reagan wrote. The impetus was manifold. Some of it came out of... Uh, out of regular physicians' desire to win professional power, control medical practice, and restrict their competitors, namely midwives and homeopaths. But this was also a time, Reagan said, in which women were lobbying, lobbying for entrance into Harvard Medical School, in part so they could pursue work in obstetrics and gynecology. The force behind this 19th century AMA anti-abortion campaign was Dr. Horatio Storer, a Harvard Medical School graduate who dedicated much of his practice to OBGYN work before he died in 1922. The crusade proved to be a form of backlash against the shifting aspirations of women. It was anti-feminist at its core, Reagan wrote. The AMA pushed for state laws to restrict abortions, and most did by 1880. Then the Comstock Law, passed by Congress in 1873, banned items including abortion drugs. But before abortions were banned, a woman known as Madame Restel ran abortion businesses from New York to Philadelphia and Boston. Her main clientele, Reagan wrote, were married, white, native-born Protestant women of upper and middle classes. Abortions, birth control, and general efforts to manage timing of pregnancy meant birth rates among white women were falling just as immigrants streamed in the United States. And the idea of being outpopulated by others worried some anti-abortion activists like Storer. And he argued that whites should be populating the country, including the West and South, better than better them than blacks, Catholics, Mexicans, Chinese, or Indians, he said, according to Reagan. Shall these regions be filled by our own children or those by or those of alien this is the question our women must answer upon their loins depends the future destiny of the nation storer said according to reagan's research white male patriotism she wrote demanded that maternity be forced among white protestant women wow wow this is some mind-blowing stuff We've been saying it for weeks. When you control a woman's... I mean, that's the way you control her body. You control her reproductive rights through laws and stuff. Uh, make her have babies and then use the babies for, you know, the war machine or to repopulate. Oh, America is so racist. We were always racist and we still are. And we pretend that we're not. And we try real hard. Uh, hey, man, I'm in the bubble of SF and I'm sorry. I... Oh, you're so racist. I was reading today in my book. Uh, it just, it makes me so sad how just ist we are. Racist and sexist and otherist and <laughs> capitalist. I'm so sad like that wars still exist and we have all these terms for war and it f funds our entire country. And, and <laughs> Back to abortion. I... I just, I feel like I wish I was born really far in the future or a long time ago in the past. Because right now, it feels like Laura Ingalls Wilder had more power over her own uterus. This whole 1873 Comstock law thing, boo. During the Depression and beyond, even after abortions became illegal, women continued to have them. They just weren't advertised the same way. Practitioners did their work behind closed doors or in private homes, or a women without means restored, resorted to desperate and often dangerous or deadly measures. 
At times, abortion rates increased in the face of the law. The Depression was a perfect example. Specialists passed out business cards and opened up clinics, Reagan explained, and nobody bothered them. In that era, abortion wasn't seen as a women's issue. It was an economic issue. In the 1950s and 60s, the estimated number of illegal abortions ranged from 200,000 to 1.2 million per year, according to the Guttenmacher Institute. Inspired by the civil rights and anti-war movements, the women's liberation movement gained steam in the 1960s and reproductive rights took center stage. Women with means had been able to get abortions by leaving the country or paying a physician in the U.S. a large fee for the procedure. Others weren't so lucky. They sought out back alley abortion procedures and took matters into their own hands, inserting knitting needles and coat hangers into their vaginas, drinking chemicals or douching with lye. These methods resulted in medical emergencies and, in some cases, death. Some groups sprouted to help prevent such outcomes. In the late 1960s, before abortion was legalized again in the United States, concerned pastors and rabbis set up the clergy consultation service on abortion to help women find safe illegal abortions. An underground abortion service was also established by feminists in Chicago. The Abortion Counseling Service of Chicago Women's Liberation Union, better known by the code name Jane, helped provide safe, supportive, and affordable legal abortions. At first, just through referrals, but then trained members began performing procedures themselves. Between 1969 and 1973, the members of the group provided more than 11,000 safe abortions, according to Laura Kaplan, author of The Story of Jane. The rubella, or German measles, outbreak in the United States between 64 and 65 posed a significant dangers to unborn children and played a big part in the changing conversation about abortion in the United States. With the passage of Roe v. Wade, in 1973, the United States Supreme Court legalized abortion in this country. Now, in Latin America, where the Zika virus is threatening pregnancies, women there are seeking abortions at higher rates, a new study shows. In, the most, in, most, in most of those affected countries, though, abortion is highly restricted and, in some cases, downright illegal. Ooh. It's, I mean, there we go. There's some history. Thank you. Uh, thank you, CNN. So, this is uh, from NAF, which is the National Abortion Federation. Right, and now we know what quickening is, because I didn't know what that was. That's when the baby moves. So, if the baby doesn't move, uh, thousands of years, blah, blah, blah. At the time the Constitution was adopted, abortions before quickening were openly advertised and commonly performed. Uh, and then it's that whole Anglo-Saxon thing. We already talked about that. Hold on. All right. Untrained practitioner, back alley abortions, liberalization. That, that was a pretty thing. Oh, here we go. Timeline of reproductive rights. That's what I wanted from this. 1821. Connecticut passes the first law in the United States barring abortions after quickening. 1860, 20 states have laws limiting abortion. 1965, Griswold v. Connecticut Supreme Court decision strikes down a state law that prohibited giving married people information, instruction, or medical advice on contraception. 1967, Colorado is the first state to liberalize its abortion laws. 
1970, Alaska, Hawaii, New York, and Washington liberalized abortion laws, making abortion available at the request of a woman and her doctor. 1972, Einstadt versus Baird Supreme Court decision establishes the right of unmarried people to use contraceptives. Whoa! Wow! 1973, Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision strikes down state law, making abortion illegal. 1976, Congress adopts the first Hyde Amendment barring the use of federal Medicaid funds to provide abortions to low-income women. Wow. 1977, a revised Hyde Amendment is passed allowing states to deny Medicaid funding except in cases of rape, incest, or severe and long-lasting damage to the woman's physical health. 1991, Rust v. Sullivan upholds the constitutionality of the 1988 gag rule, which prohibits doctors and counselors at clinics, which receive federal funding from providing their patients with information about referrals for abortion. Ooh. 1992, Planned Parenthood of Southeastern Pennsylvania Pennsylvania versus Casey reaffirms the core holdings of Roe that women have the right to abortion before fetal viability, but allows states to restrict abortion access so long as these restrictions do not impose an undue burden on women seeking abortions. 1994, Freedom of Access to Clinical to Clinic Entrances (FACE) Act is passed by Congress with a large majority in response to the murder of Dr. David Gunn. The FACE Act forbids the use of force, threat, uh, force, threat of force, or physical obstruction to prevent someone from providing or receiving reproductive health care services. The law also provides for both criminal and civil penalties for those who break the law. 2000 Stenberg versus Carhartt Carhartt one rules that the Nebraska statute banning so-called partial birth abortion is unconstitutional for two independent reasons. The state, the statute that uh, the statute lacks the necessary exception for preserving the health of the woman and the definition of the targeted procedures is so broad as to prohibit abortions in the second trimester, thereby being an undue burden on women. This effectively invalidates 29 of 31 similar statewide bans. 2000, Food and Drug Administration approves Mipifistone RU486 as an option in abortion care for very early pregnancy. 2003, a federal ban on abortion procedures is passed by Congress and signed into law by President Bush. The National Abortion Federation immediately challenges the law in court and is successful in blocking enforcement of the law for its members. Oh my gosh. 2004, NAF wins lawsuit against federal abortion ban. Justice Department appeals rulings by three trial courts against ban. Oh, we're still fighting about it. We're fighting, fighting, fighting. Okay, so here's the last part of the news on this. So this is 2017 will be a big year for reproductive rights. Here's what will happen and here's what's at stake. So here's the sad, the thing that makes me just feel super sad is that here we are in 2017 and we're... We're still, I mean, it's basically going back to that 1880 law about they want, I mean, it's controlling white women's uteruses. It's, it was for, it was a racist thing. I wish Latoya was here because it would just, it would blow her mind. Uh, and she'd be like, see. Uh, but she'll be here later. Uh, so I, I, I mean, it, it flabbergasts me that we're still worried about 
women's ability to choose when to have or not have children. Uh, I have an IUD. I talk about it all the time. I'm really glad about it. I have a, I have a wonderful partner. I hate the word partner. I hate the word boyfriend. I don't even know what to call him. But he's, you know, like the, the most important person in my life. And, and he's great. But, I mean... You know, I had a day off yesterday, and I never—I haven't had a day off in forever. And I just laid around, and like I didn't even drink, which was so nice. I smoked pot all day, but I didn't even drink, which I usually because I just was so tired. I just needed a day to just like not party, not. But I can't even imagine having kids. If you have kids, it's like they have to go to school every day. You have to get them up and get ready for school every day. That's like that's crazy. I'm so glad that the Crimea River song is happening behind me. Uh, but that's why I'm not going to have kids because I can't, I couldn't, I mean, I thought, I thought about the math today. And when my mom was 42, my age, I was 15. Like, and I have all these issues right now and I'm a 42 year old and I'm like, she didn't have a life. She didn't get to have a life at all. I don't know if she, I think she actually wanted kids or whatever. And that's fine. It's great. But I just, and I would love, I mean, I would love to have a kid if I had if I got paid tons of money to run this radio station, <laughs> right? Like if you gave me, if I had a, if I could actually make a livable income here, I would absolutely, you know, but then what, I guess I would have to bring the baby. You don't get, I, I have no idea how to make that work in the world, but okay. So I've chosen not to do that. Uh, but if, if I didn't have an IUD and if I, I mean, but that's the thing is we have to be responsible for our contraceptive choices right now. I have an IUD. I'm not going to have a baby. That's just a fact. There's a little pool sweeper in my uterus and it keeps all the dead babies out. It's fucking great. Uh, the copper one, by the way, which is crazy. Cause I just, I, I've been having my period. I got it last Wednesday. I've been having it for a week. I'm like, come on copper, finish up. Uh, and, and women aren't even, I mean, and how do we? Of course, don't give us access to contraception because then we could make decisions about what we want to do with our baby makers. Because you got to raise that kid once you have them, right? Uh, okay, so 2017 will be a big year for reproductive rights. Here's what will happen, and here's what's at stake. Now, this is this was written uh, in January, so... And here we are at the end of uh, March, almost. Advocates for reproductive health and rights began are bracing for a big fight. Uh, 45 has promised to appoint pro-life justices like Gorsuch, which um, actually have a... Wait, let me get you the, the most recent thing on Gorsuch here. I saved this for you guys. Uh, Neil Gorsuch, 45 Supreme Court nominee, is on Capitol Hill this week for the start of his confirmation hearings. We don't know much about Gorsuch, but here's what we do know. He's a radical supporter of big business who believes corporations are people. Democrats are going to need, are going to make, uh, Democrats are going to make Neil Gorsuch answer some tough questions about his record and then fight like hell to stop his confirmation. Can we count on you to stand with us? Gorsuch's rulings have been said to defy common sense and fairness, and you don't have to dig too deep to figure out why. He routinely sides with CEOs and corporate interests over the interests of hardworking Americans. He has ruled in favor of insurance and companies who want to deny disability benefits and employers facing discrimination claims from their employees. He was also closely involved in the Bush administration's assertion 
assertion, excuse me, that the powers of the president cannot be checked by the judiciary. So it's not hard to imagine why 45, who has repeatedly attacked court rulings striking down his unconstitutional Muslim ban, finds him so appealing. If he's confirmed, Gorsuch would be a stool pigeon for corporate interests, a stonewall standing in the way of working people seeking justice, and a rubber stamp for 45's extreme agenda on our nation's highest court. Uh, and he's a big abortion fan, or a big, a big pro, pro-lifer. He doesn't believe in abortion. Um, or a woman's white to choose. Sad face. Everything is scary around here. Uh, so that's going on. Let's get back to Gorsuch over here. So if he apply, and, and we know Gorsuch is not into him. All right. Uh, over to Roe v. Wade. His administration will be on will be full of people like Tom Price, who would lead the na- na- nation's health department while opposing basic health coverage for women under the Affordable Care Act, and Vice President Mike Pence, who was once the Congress member for responsible for launching the GOP's war on Planned Parenthood in the first place. Whatever 2617 has in store for reproductive rights, it will be eventful. But as big a challenge as the 45 administration posed to pro-choice advocates, the fight won't be as one-sided as you think. Congress could really actually defund Planned Parenthood this time? Will it? <laughs> Speaker of the House Paul Ryan said Thursday... Um, this is in January, though. Speaker of the House Paul Ryan said that before this year is out, Republicans in Congress will, in fact, seek to defund Planned Parenthood at the same time that they appeal the affor- repeal the Affordable Care Act using a budget reconciliation process that Democrats will be powerless to stop unless at least a few Republicans join them. The move wouldn't kill off Planned Parenthood, but it would mean cutting off basic health care options for hundreds of thousands of women. Planned Parenthood's $500 million in federal funding doesn't come in a lump sum, and it doesn't cover abortion. It's paid out through Medicaid reimbursements and family planning grants, which cover services like birth control or cervical cancer screening. That means that mostly low-income women who rely on those programs would suffer the harshest consequences of defunding. It's hardly a secret that the GOP has been trying for years to defund Planned Parenthood and repeal the ACA. It's also hard to say whether they can muster the unified political will to go through with it. Planned Parenthood is actually quite popular, whereas taking health insurance away from 20 million Americans probably won't be. The exact detailing of both the defunding bill and the ACA repeal aren't clear yet. If Republicans keep both promises, though, it would be a double whammy for women's health, putting the nation's family planning safety net Uh, gutting the nation's family planning safety net, plus denying women the ACA's comprehensive no-cost coverage for preventive health care. Congress might also pass a national abortion ban that challenges Roe v. Wade. With Republican House and Senate majorities, a president who seems more more, more than willing to go along with their socially conservative agenda, it wouldn't be at all surprising to see the reappearance of a national proposals to ban abortion before a fetus is viable outside the womb, which would directly violate the Supreme Court's 1973 decision in Roe v. Wade and could trigger a high-stakes court challenge to that decision. Two such laws were introduced in Congress last year and may appear again this year. One would ban the safest, most common method of second trimester abortion. Another would ban almost all abortions after 20 weeks of pregnancy. 
the GOP's high-profile high attempt to pass the 20-week ban last year fell apart when Republicans disagreed on how to handle rape exceptions. The bill also stood no chance of being signed by President Barack Obama or overcoming a Democratic filibuster in the Senate. The Democratic filibuster could definitely still block bills like these in 2017 and beyond, assuming Republicans don't change the rules, that is. But there's also no telling which bills might get attached to must-pass legislation or get forced through in other ways. I think I swallowed a fly. Tiny one, though. Don't worry about it. Like a fruit fly. But gross. What I do for you, huh? Love you guys out there. Thanks for listening to AltaCast as we're going through the history of abortion and the future of abortion. So scary. Thanks to Narl Pro Choice America. Uh, go. I didn't get all my news from them. I did a little um, extra digging today. But um, please go give them money <laughs> and like them on Facebook. Please. Uh, you can also donate to Mutiny Radio. We have a donate button on our Facebook. Or not on our Facebook, on our website, mutinyradio.fm, that you probably downloaded this from right now. And also, today we might skip it, but we'll see the drug policy uh, a, a drug policy news from drug policy. Uh, yeah, drug policy, drug policy. Sorry, drugs and abortion. It's like, what's Pam into? <laughs> uh, all right. I'm your host, Pam Benjamin. We're going to get back to this. One big caveat, though, even if one of these bills is passed, it's still unlikely that the court would uphold the law, much less use it as a tool to overturn Roe v. Wade. After all, the court still had a five-justice minority that just voted to strengthen abortion rights in 2016, and the power of precedent is strong enough that even Chief Justice John Roberts might be reluctant to overturn a decision as well established as Roe. Still, the calculus could change dramatically if Trump gets a chance to appoint two or three new justices instead of only one. Gore such, such gore. I can't believe no one's like done a joke on that yet besides me. Such gore. So many back alley abortions coming back because of the gore. Such gore. Pro-choice movement is going on offense and it could score some big wins in the Trump era. Uh, NAF is the National Abortion Federation. Pro-choice.org. Read from them earlier about the history of abortion rights. The stakes... For abortion rights in America are already high. State restrictions have been slowly eroding the landscape of abortion access for decades. But a flow of new restrictions since 2010, when Republicans swept state legislators in the midterm elections, has made abortion access in some states not much better in the days before Roe v. Wade. In the courts, though, reproductive rights advocates are already using this summer's big pro-choice Supreme Court victory, or last summer's, to fight some of those new and even old laws. In states like Wisconsin, Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, Indiana, and Florida, the new Supreme Court cases helped block laws that would have forced clinics to close or would have put other unconstitutional undue burdens on women seeking an abortion. There will be more of these kinds of legal fights and possibly a lot more pro-choice wins come 2017. Also in 2017, many states are likely to continue a growing trend of passing bills to expand reproductive rights rather than restrict them. The Center for Reproductive Rights tracked nearly 300 bills in 2016 that would expand or improve access to reproductive health care services. Bills that make it easier for women to get birth control are a major trend right now. Nearly every state considered, and eight states passed, some kind of pro-contraception bill. 
These include allowing pharmacists to dispense birth control without a prescription, which is already the law in California and Oregon, and passed this year in a red state, Tennessee, allowing women to pick up a six or 12 month supply of birth control in one pharmacy visit, passed in Maryland, Vermont, Hawaii, and Illinois, to codify uh, an expanding ACA life, ACA style contraception benefit at the state level. Maryland banned co-pays for contraception and sterilization. These kinds of laws could be especially important if Republicans get rid of Obamacare's coverage for women's health. The intense attacks on reproductive rights in recent years have sprung advocates out of decades-long a long dong defensive crouch. Now they are proactively fighting for abortion to be treated as routine medical practice and basic human right for women, if not some shameful secret. Planned Parenthood is launching a huge campaign to fight against the defunding threats against it in Congress. Most Americans flavor Planned Parenthood favor not flavor most americans favor planned parenthood and astonishingly almost half of 45 supporters opposed to funding it it's conceivable that enough public pressure could have a real impact meanwhile a national campaign pushing harder than ever to restore federal funding for abortion by repealing the hyde amendment the hyde amendment activists say discriminates against low-income women and women of color in particular and makes it harder for them to afford an abortion Repealing Hyde would have been an achievable goal under Hillary Clinton, but that doesn't mean activists are letting up the pressure under Trump. Far from it. The All Above All campaign to repeal the Hyde Amendment just announced a six-figure ad buy in Washington, D.C., urging lawmakers to be bold by ending the 40-year ban and saying that women won't be punished, a reference to Trump's infamous line about what might happen to women if Roe v. Wade was overturned. Meanwhile, states keep, will keep passing more anti-abortion laws. States have passed 338 abortion restrictions in just the past six years, according to the Guttmacher Institute, a research organization for reproductive rights. That's 30% of the 1,142 laws that states have passed to limit abortion since Roe v. Wade was decided in 1973. In 2016 alone, 18 states enacted 50 new abortion restrictions. It's a steady trend that certainly won't vanish overnight. And if Congress can't or won't defund Planned Parenthood, a bunch of states will try to do it themselves. At least 24 have already tried in one way or another, and many have succeeded. But in some of those efforts, like Florida this year, have been blocked because they're illegal. Kicking Planned Parenthood out of Medicaid, for instance, violates patients' rights under federal law to receive family planning from the health care provider of their choice. Some states have already passed so many anti-abortion laws, they need to think of new ones. But they will. The Guttenmacher Institute identifies 10 major types of abortion restrictions that states most often passed. Medically inaccurate or misleading pre-abortion, quote-unquote, counseling. Med medically unnecessary waiting periods that sometimes require two trips to the clinic. Medically unnecessary ultrasounds before an abortion. Banning state Medicaid funds from covering abortion except in cases of life, but not health endangerment, rape, or incest. Restricting restricting abortion coverage in private health care plans. Imposing medically inappropriate restrictions on medication abortion and unnecessary regulations on abortion facilities that are difficult to comply with. Imposing an unconstitutional ban on abortion before viability, like a 20-week ban, or limits on abortion after viability. viability. Preemptively banning abortion just in case Roe v. Wade is overturned. 
uh, 22 states are extremely hostile to abortion. And if you look at the trend from in just 10 years, from 2006 to 2016, um, the states used to be hostile, now like extremely hostile. So um, that's really sad. You've got uh, it's you'll just have you'll have to look at it. it's really sad. And then there's supportive, which is. I, I'm just, I'm really surprised. Why are we all freaking out about abortion? Guttenmacher considers states that have passed four of these 10 laws hostile to reproductive rights and very hostile if they pass six or more. And in just the past decade, as the graphic above uh, shows, the above graphic, the number of hostile or very hostile states has skyrocketed. If a state is already very hostile to reproductive rights, though, chances are that lawmakers have already passed most of the restrictions they want. So the breakneck pace of lawmaking should slow down eventually. Then again, it may not. Pro-life activists and lobbyists are constantly dreaming up new laws to limit abortion, and pro-life state legislatures are usually game to try to pass them. The anti-abortion movement is changing tactics. Some of the results have been bizarre. 2016 could get even weirder. Elizabeth Nash, state issuers manager at the Guttenmacher Institute says she's noticed a big shift in rhetoric in the pro-life movement in 2016. Instead of justifying abortion restrictions because they allegedly improve women's health and safety, she says, activists have started using more inflammatory language or graphic imagery as their main argument against abortion rights. In part, this trend was inspired by the propaganda videos that spun Planned Parenthood's field tissue donation program into an illegal for-profit conspiracy to sell baby parts. Not a single state, federal, or media investigation could substantiate the video's claims, but they still had a huge influence on policy in 2016 and probably will in 2017, too. Eight states banned field tissue donation or research in 2016. Indiana, Texas, and Louisiana tried, but ultimately failed in court, to require all fetal tissue to be cremated or buried, which was both an indirect way of banning fetal tissue donation and a visceral appeal to treat fetuses just like born-alive infants. Ohio attorney Mike, General Mike DeWine tried to promote a similar law using false inflammatory claims that Planned Parenthood improperly threw steam-cooked aborted fetuses into landfills. Gross-out posters and protest tactics aren't new, but gross-out policy seems to be getting more common. Instead of quietly regulating abortion out of existence using obscure admitting privileges or ambulatory surgical centers laws, anti-abortion activists are shifting back to visceral, often misleading rhetoric that both humanizes the fetus and demonizes abortion. In 2016, Indiana and Louisiana tried and failed in court to ban abortions that supposedly discriminated against fetus based on race, sex, or genetic abnormalities. Ohio joined 15 other states to ban abortion after 20 weeks based on a very medically dubious theory of fetal pain. Four states banned the dilation and evacuation procedure, the safest and most common method for performing a second trimester abortion, and colorfully rebranded it as dismemberment abortion. The D&E ban, which was blocked in Alabama and Louisiana, but still stands in Mississippi and West Virginia, is basically an indirect ban on second trimester abortion after 14 weeks. It forces doctors to choose between not performing the procedure at all, losing their medical license for performing it correctly, or putting their patients at risk by using a legal but less safe or reliable method. 
Utah passed a similar indirect ban on abortion after 20 weeks by passing a fetal anesthesia law that was pure medical gibberish. Many of these laws are obvious violation of Roe v. Wade because they ban or severely restrict abortion before a fetus is viable. But some of them are also just bizarre. Fetus funerals? Fantasy medical procedures suggesting that black women who get an abortion are actually engaging in racial discrimination? In some ways, though, it's a strategic shift that makes sense. As long as Roe v. Wade stands, you can't legally block a woman from getting an abortion before her fetus is viable. You can regulate abortion to a certain extent, but as the Supreme Court affirmed this summer by striking down two major Texas laws, you can't pass bogus regulations that just close a bunch of clinics without improving health or safety. So if what you really want is to outlaw abortion, pretty much that's all that's left after that decision is finding oh, after that decision is finding a different way to move the legal goalposts back finding reasons that the rights of the fetus might trump the rights of the woman before it can actually outside live outside her body by say convincing courts to replace the standard of fetal viability which happens around 24 to 26 weeks of pregnancy give or take but has to be determined by a doctor with fetal pain a theory that defies credibility by claiming fetuses can feel pain at precisely 20 weeks of pregnancy the pro-life movement has been painted into a tricky legal corner and its new fetus-focused strategies faces very long constitutional odds. Even though some new laws won't be challenged or struck down, they still won't do nearly as much to limit abortion access as the old women's health and safety laws did. And then again, passing the weird new laws also means investing in a long shot that just might pay off someday and even reverse Roe v. Wade. Uh, you scared yet uh this is the there's a new arkansas law that uh lets men block wives abortion even in cases of spousal rape yay 2017 uh a new law in arkansas bans most second trimester abortions and allows a woman's husband to sue the doctor for civil damages or injunctive relief which would block the woman from having the procedure. The Unborn Child Protection from Dismemberment Abortion Act, signed into law last week by Governor Asa Hutchinson, Republican, bans dilation and evacuation procedures in which the physician removes the fetus from the womb with surgical tools. DNA procedures are the safest and most common way women can end their pregnancies after 14 weeks of gestation, according to the American Medical Association. A clause buried in the legislation states that the husband of a woman seeking an abortion, if he's the baby's father, can file a civil lawsuit against the physician for monetary damages or injunctive relief, a court order that would prevent the doctor from going ahead with the procedure. The woman's parents or legal guardians can also sue if she's a minor. The state... The law states that the husband cannot sue the doctor for money in cases of criminal conduct against his wife, namely spousal rape, but he could still sue to block her from having the abortion. State Representative Andy Mayberry, Republican who co-sponsored the bill, told the Daily Beast, We've tried to account for all the worst case scenarios. They created a whole new right, the right of a husband or a family member to sue a doctor on behalf of an adult patient said Holly Dickinson, legal director of the American Civil Liberties Union of Arkansas. I cannot begin to tell you what the intent was, but we have raised concerns about that provision and the entire rest of the bill, which is unconstitutional. Uh, 
The ACLU of Arkansas plans to challenge the abortion law in court before it goes into effect this summer. Six other states have passed nearly identical laws, and in all four states where the law was challenged, Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, and West Virginia, it was struck down by the courts. The Supreme Court's 1973 decision, Roe v. Wade, protects a woman's right to have an abortion up till the fetus would be, fetus would be viable outside the womb, around 22 weeks of pregnancy. Well, aren't we learning today, everybody? Yes, we're learning. Um, it just it just gets more and more sad. Like the farther you get down, uh, you know, it's like North Carolina's abortion law just got crazier. New Arkansas abortion law restricts second trimester abortion. Donald Trump's executive order will cause more abortions. Pence lawmakers fake backlash over new Indiana abortion law. That's all 2016 though stuff, so we're not going to worry about it. Uh, let's jump quickly to the drug news. So, I mean, support your fellow. We're, we're still in the middle of Women's Month or Day or whatever it was, right? Women are people. All right, here we are. Uh, Drug Policy Alliance. 43% of Americans have tried marijuana, and according to Jeff Sessions, they are not good people. (laughs) This is good. This is from uh, Drug Policy Alliance. Hey, like them, donate. Their donate button is up at the corner of their website. You can like them on Facebook, and they're amazing. Thanks to Melissa Moore of Drug Policy Alliance. Uh, in New York for turning us on to these issues and uh, teaching us that we have to be educated. Uh, 43% of Americans have tried marijuana, and according to Jeff Sessions, they are not good people. This is written by Virginia Purcell. Uh, Earlier this week, Attorney General Jeff Sessions delivered a speech to law enforcement officials in which he ranted about the immorality of smoking marijuana and signaled a return to the failed drug uh, abstinence Just Say No programs of the 1980s. Sessions said, I see if I can. I think we have too much tolerance for drug use, psychologically, politically, morally. We need to do, we need to say as Nancy Reagan did, just say no, don't do it. Additionally, he employed scare tactics by saying, and our nation needs to say clearly once again that using drugs is bad and that it will destroy your life. Oh man, I have to put a little commentary in here real quickly. Marijuana has only improved my life. Anecdotally, from me to the world, my life has only been vastly improved by the consumption of this wonderful and healing plant. It has been used for over 4,000 years. Some of the first medical texts mention cannabis, its healing properties. I'm sorry that you can't make money off at corporations. I'm sorry about that because we can grow it because it's a weed. I'm sorry that you can't get your cut. You can't get your pound of flesh if you want to go from the whole Shakespearean thing. But marijuana has only vastly improved my life. It doesn't make you dumb because I have two master's degrees. So fuck you, Sessions. I can learn things. I'm a smart lady. If I didn't smoke pot, I would be so smart that no one would want to hang out with me because I would be a pretentious bitch. 
dickbag, just like you, Jeff Sessions. You're a pretentious dickbag. You know what? Maybe you should sit down and smoke some pot. Maybe you should try it. Oh, mind-expanding drugs. No. Oh, people are people? Corporations aren't people. People are people? Women are people? Smoke some pot. Okay. Destroy your life. Okay, I'm off my soapbox. The widely recognized Just Say No program was DARE, Drug Abuse Resistance Education, and stated on its website, DARE is a police officer-led series of classroom lessons that teaches children from kindergarten through 12th grade how to resist peer pressure and live productive, drug, and violence-free lives. However, the D.A.R.E. program has widely been seen as a failure, with studies conclusively finding that 20-year-olds who'd had D.A.R.E. classes were known less likely to have smoked marijuana or cigarettes, drunk alcohol, used illicit drugs like cocaine or heroin, or caved into peer pressure that kids who'd never been exposed to D.A.R.E. Oh, then kids who'd never been exposed to D.A.R.E. It is important to also note that Jeff Sessions believes that using drugs is inherently immoral. And then if you try or do drugs of any kind, your life will then be destroyed faster than you can say, Mary Jane. Oh, but what about the destruction of people's lives through opioids from doctor prescribed opioids? What about that? That, uh, I mean, if you're using drugs, you're inherently immoral. So our entire medical community is immoral because what's the difference? What's the difference of drugs? Why do we demonize this plant? Which actually is, oh, wait, because we can't make money up. Okay, no, I get it, I get it. We've, we've talked about this before. We've talked about this before. Right. According to a Gallup poll in 2016, 43% of Americans have tried smoking marijuana in their lifetime. And according to Sessions, good people don't smoke marijuana. Marijuana. If every American who had possessed illicit drugs were caught, nearly 50% of Americans would have drug violations on their records. This is coming from a man who said in the 1980s that he thought the Ku Klux Klan was okay until he found out some members smoked marijuana. The war on drugs has been massively devastating to the heart and soul of the American society. States are fighting back by legalizing marijuana and utilizing harm reduction strategies over incarceration. We cannot allow Jeff Sessions to reinvigorate the war on drugs. Yay, Virginia. Sorry, I, I added a little bit of commentary in the middle. There you go. Uh, I, it's drug policy reform. Everything's going to be okay. Uh, this just came out yesterday. Uh, drug Policy Alliance receives award for video featuring Jay-Z calling drug war an epic fail. Yay, they got an award. Uh, we listened to it for the 2017 Do-Gooder Best Nonprofit Video for Good Award to be presented this week. The Drug Policy Alliance received the 2017 Do-Gooder Best Nonprofit Video for Good Award for its video slamming the war on drugs narrated by Sean Jay-Z Carter and illustrated by acclaimed artist Molly Crabapple. The video first launched in the New York Times last September and the award will be presented this week at the annual Nonprofit Technology Conference hosted by NTEN in Washington, D.C. The four-minute work is part history lesson and part vision statement. The video traces the drug war and its impact on the black community from President Nixon to the draconian drug Rockefeller drug laws to the emerging above-ground marijuana market that is poised to make legal millions 
to make legal millions for wealthy investors doing the same thing that generations of people of color have been arrested and locked up for. The New York Times also added the video to its learning network as a teaching tool for young people and using it as the first video of the 2016 school year for its film club. Jay-Z and Molly Crabapple's groundbreaking video has educated millions of people about the devastation wrought by on the African-American community because of the drug war and raises important questions about economic equity in the emerging above-ground marijuana industry, said Asha Bandel, senior director for the grants, partnerships, and special projects at the Drug Policy Alliance. We thank the Do Gooder Awards for selecting our video as a finalist, our supporters who supported us, and special thanks to Jay-Z, Molly Crabapple, and the Dream Hampton for their contributions to this deservedly award-winning video. The video generated an avalanche of media attention, getting covered in thousands of stories from the Los Angeles Times to Entertainment Weekly. The Do Gooder National Awards attract thousands of participants from across the globe who support social causes and compelling stories of people making change in the world. Just like Drug Policy Alliance. Yay, Drug Policy Alliance. I, I mean, I, it's good that people, that people care. Uh, it's happening actually right now uh, in... New York City. Prospects for drug policy reform in the U.S. and abroad. Drug Policy Alliance and Human Rights Watch call for decriminalizing drug use, joined by former Swiss president and former head of the Global Fund to fight AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria. Drug decriminalization gaining traction with backing of World Health Organization, International Red Cross, American Public Health Association, NAACP, and the National Latino Congreso. That's today, Wednesday, March 22nd, the Human Rights Watchdog, the Drug Policy Alliance, and Hunter College Human Rights Program will host a conversation about the global movement toward ending the criminalization of drug use and possession for personal use, as well as current prospects for drug policy reform at the local, state, and national, international levels. It's happening right now! Um, Two to four o'clock, their time. I think it just ended at the Roosevelt House Public Policy Institute at Hunter College. So, uh, hey, that happened today. It's happening right. Just ended. People care. People care about drug policy. Um, like we do. Here at the Alta Cast. All right. Well, that's our hour of news, everybody. I did it. I did it alone. I can't wait for the Sheriff of Truth to get here so that I ha- can talk to her about things and stuff. Because I am out of my history, abortion history, and but I did it! Yay! I mean, I could, I could, uh, I could do some before she gets here. I could do some racist. Uh, I can read you how 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 racist America has been uh, in the past, but uh, I think we already know that. We'll, we'll wait on that. We'll, we'll get a little we'll get a little music in here if we can. Uh, let's see. Uh, listen to Cope uh, breathe for a minute, and then we'll be right back.
I haven't played this particular song in a long time. So we're gonna bring it back right here on the AltaCast. This is It's Free, Swipe Yo EBT by Chapter Jackson. Uh, I love this song so much. I'm telling you. So Girl, fucking. what restaurant accept the EBT cards for the hot food? Jack in the Box, KFC, Subway, El Pollo Loco, Rally's Burger, most of the donut shops, the burger stands, Woody Barbecue, all the fish markets, some of the beauty supplies. Come on, chapter. Some of the beauty supply stores on Crenshaw. It's it's loading. It doesn't like it doesn't it doesn't like our, our video. But you guys are listening to the Altacast here on mutinyradio.fm. Streaming live, uh, also podcast post. Hope you're listening to that. Latoya the Sheriff of Truth will be here momentarily. And uh, we learned a lot about abortion today, didn't we? Fun times. Okay, hopefully this video will I'm like is did our internet go down why why is it happening is the is the government angry with us it's a funny song I don't know why this is happening here I'll bring this back up Find out why. Why is it doing it? Why? Uh, well, I guess I'm experiencing slowness with with Google, which sucks because I really love this song. I think it's so funny. Let's see if I move it up a little, if it'll help. Well, this is unprofessional. Girl, I got enough to get it turned up. I done took the kids to the babysitter. Which liquor store take the EBT card? Where y'all get that Patron last time? Public service announcement. This is where the taxpayer money goes. Get it all. Hey! California, wake up. 
If they don't get their money, they gon' kick your butt At the county building It's too late, they not passing out any more vouchers for Section 8 It's too late, they not passing out any more vouchers for Section 8 They turn me away All you have to do is fuck And nine months later, you're getting a big buck But all you have to do is fuck And nine months later, you're getting a big buck All you have to do is fuck And nine months later, you're getting a big buck But all you have to do is fuck And nine months later, you're getting a big buck It's free! Swipe your EBT! shepherd i shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside quiet waters he restores my soul he guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i fear no evil for thy art with me thy rod and thy staff thy comfort me thy dust prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies Thy has anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in his house forever. Protect me from my pimp Craig. Oh, oh, baby, feel that, oh, oh, baby, oh, oh, ooh. 
That's annoying. The girlfriend experience. We'll quit that out. Uh, this is the last one we'll do by Chapter Jackson. This is I Need a Job. I have a feeling this will be very funny. Chapter. Big faces. CIA records. <laughs> Obama, we need a job now. Obama, we need a job now. Obama, we need a job now. Yeah. 
little chapter Jackson for everybody political commentary from the, the hip-hop slant you guys are listening to the AltaCast here on radio.fm I am beginning to seriously doubt the arrival of my co-host which makes me sad but um, she's got a life man she's got stuff uh, I understand so we'll figure out something else uh how about you want to get out sessions is a throwback to a shameful era which i know both black and white americans thought was in our past Jeff Sessions represents my state, Alabama, where more than 31% of all black people are denied the right to vote. Jeff Sessions was fine with the terrorist hate group, the KKK, until he learned that they smoked pot. I may have said something like that. Send that message with clarity that good people don't smoke marijuana. Marijuana is a leading cause of deportation. My father was a legal taxpaying resident who was deported. Jeff Sessions will destroy more family. I have an 18-year-old son who plays the trumpet and loves math. Uh, it's not fair to have to worry about his life every single day because he's a young black man who's a stop and frisk target. Jeff Sessions is one of the scariest possibilities that I was afraid of. Jeff Sessions wants to ramp up a drug war that costs us $50 billion a year, and yet most Americans believe that it's failed. He is, uh, I believe, a disgrace to the Justice Department and he should withdraw his nomination and resign his position. Jeff Sessions is simply unfit. If you believe in fairness, if you believe in due process, if you believe in our Constitution, you must join me in the fight to stop Sessions. He's been wrong on the drug war. He's been wrong on criminal justice. He's been wrong on civil rights and liberties, and he's wrong for America. I'm too... No, Jeff Sessions. No, we're just going to listen to a little bit more stuff on 
uh, why Jeff Sessions should not have been appointed, but he is, and it's really scary. So it, um, I mean, how can we repeal? Are we going to be able to do that? Are we going to be able to repeal any of these people that have been put in the administration? Look, there's obviously a lot of things that uh, Jeff Sessions, as attorney general, is going to have to do. But, I mean, aside from, you know, ignoring all of the legal and ethical problems with the Trump administration. That will take some not doing. Right. And I think, look, as, as a guy, one of the first guys to come out and endorse Trump, I think he's going to be, he's definitely going to be up to that task. But the other important thing, and people are starting to pay attention to this a little bit more, when Republicans get in office, some of the first things they do is not like rush out and find like, we're finally going to get to implement this policy um, that we have all these policy experts that's going to help improve uh, the country. It's, it's always they make sure that they line up a lot of policies and personnel to ensure that they win future elections. And so at a time where you have the Supreme Court having gut the Voting Rights Act and some judges across the country, federal judges, rolling back some of the laws passed in the wake of that Voting Rights Act gutting, where you had a lot of these pre-clearance states being able to impose voting restrictions, Jeff Sessions comes in there, and he is an expert not only in ignoring laws that suppress the vote, but in targeting people who are trying to make it easier for people to vote. In his case, his specialty has been targeting African-American people who are trying to vote. I hate that term so much, African-American. Here is, here is Jeff Sessions getting really indignant uh, during his hearings in 1986 where he was uh, prevented from becoming a federal judge, and I believe it was a, a Republican Senate under uh, President Ronald Reagan. And they still were like, mm, yeah. Wow, Jeff, you really have set them off, haven't you? The, even Should this be a guy. little bit of subtlety in your game. <laughs> exactly. Here is, uh, here is that clip now. The nomination of Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III has become embroiled in controversy over his alleged racial remarks and his prosecution of three blacks in an Alabama voting fraud case. In the fourth Senate Judiciary Committee hearing on his nomination, Sessions angrily fought back the allegations and defended his record. I am not a racist. I am not insensitive to blacks. I have supported civil rights activity in my state. I have done my job with integrity, equality, and fairness for all. Among committee members, tempers flew over the alleged racial statements and over the need to even continue the hearings. It would be an absurd situation. The last thing that would happen, it would be like spitting in someone's face. Of course, it's a terrible allegation, but it's simply untrue. 
uh, we're going to have to take the only step which is appropriate to us, and that's subject uh, to the committee's uh, continued hearing. Uh, we're not going to get to whipsawed. And in a heated exchange with Democrat Joseph Biden, Sessions denied calling the National Council of Churches and the NAACP un-American. My opinion is they have not. They may have taken positions that I consider to be adverse to the security interests of the United States. Does that make them un-American? No, sir, it does not. No, does that make the positions un-American? No. Sessions also refuted other key statements he is alleged to have made, including that he thought Ku Klux Klan members were okay until he learned some were marijuana smokers. This assertion is ludicrous. I detest the Klan. And he denied that he called a black attorney, Thomas Figures, boy. I state categorically that I have never called Mr. Figures boy. The Judiciary Committee will... It's impossible for me to imagine him saying that. I love, I hate the Klan, and I love that sweet mad Jane. Ah. You ever toke up and ask yourself, is what we're doing now dreaming, and when we is dreaming, it's real life? It's possible, Put your hand I in said, my pipe, boy. Oh, it's, excuse it's, me. It's possible, I said, boy, am I high. <laughs> I may have said, boy, I'm high, but I was just saying... Literally like General my friend. boy, like everybody, wake up, I'm high. Now, it may threaten the national security of the United States if the Negroid is in the voting booth, but that don't mean they ain't the American. <laughs> Wait, did I just say that out loud? Well, there goes the hearing. <laughs> Whoopsie doopsie. When they try to rise um, we're gonna above get, their proper there, station in life. There, it, the the story is more extreme than we have, uh, uh, you know, than than we've heard. And Ari Berman is going to join us in just a moment to talk about that. Hey, it's Sam Cedar. Why don't you uh, subscribe to this channel? You can do so right. So that was from Sam Cedar. Uh, we're going to listen a little bit more. This is Senator Al Franken delivers a scathing attack on Sessions' insulting letter on Russia. I'm like, oh, he has, he has thoughts about Russia? God, we all have thoughts about Russia, right? Jeff Sessions yesterday went in front of the um, uh, Senate Judiciary uh, Committee. Uh, he sits in front of them today, I guess, as well, right? And um, I think we're going to hear from testimony today from Cory Booker, who's actually going to testify against him, wow. which is... Um, Running for president. Which is him, a declaration for president. But I like the way he's doing it. I mean, look. Oh, of course. Here's the thing. And here's where we are, folks. And pause this for a minute. We have uh, Latoya said she's calling in on the phone, so we'll work that out. I finally saw your, I finally saw your message that said you were calling in. I had my phone, I had my my yeah, ringer sorry. off. I got stuck at my meeting and I just got out. Yay! Oh, it's all good. Uh, I just did some history of abortion and we talked about oh, the drugs fine. and yeah fine. it's, How it's fun. Take you away? well 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 that's the future of it but the past is that you know abortions were legal in the united states until like the 1860s and they were advertised and no one had a problem with it and and then um with all the immigration that started happening in the 1880s um they started having abortion laws because they were afraid that white Protestant women would not have as many babies and all those gross new immigrants would muck up our 
Americanism. It was a racist thing, LaToya. Oh, exactly. And we were just repeating ourselves all over again. It was racism. It was a racist thing. That's the whole reason that they wanted to control the uteruses of the white women is they were saying that we weren't having enough babies. Uh, And they were just scared of those those dirty immigrants. Well, you know, what's funny is that uh, I believe it was last week, um, Steve King, who is a representative of um, Iowa, who is a racist prick anyway, uh, stated to the fact of what we were actually just saying about, you know, keeping the the America, America, uh, homogenized. Yeah. Which, (laughs) I mean, which doesn't make sense because America... The, the the new world is nothing like Europe, you know. Right. There is no such thing. The only pure blood that would be here would be indigenous. So how? Right, right, right. So how can you technically call something, you know, basically white when on this country here there is no such thing as. 100% white. Exactly, right. Well, we it's when you, you, you take it over. This is the other thing is that uh, it's it's interesting what they do with milk, actually. We, we've been messing with our cows so much that, um, you know why there's pink milk and chocolate milk that are pre-sold in the stores? Is yeah. that we're so gross with the way we treat our cows. I mean, I know we have human rights violations, but we're so terrible with what we do to our cows that we put these... Well, we yeah. put these stick things on their tits and we tra- take too much milk and they get scabs and they get problems. They get things in this milk. And so the milk actually turns kind of pink because of the blood clots and all these things. And so that's when it's gross milk like that. They just put the pink in it or the chocolate in it so that they can sell the milk that they can't normally sell because it's not white enough. It's not white and pure enough. It's not pure <laughs> enough. It's I, But OK, so back to your melting pot theory. It's true. What you know, what makes America great is that we let all people in to bring in your tired, your hungry, your poor, your unsheltered. And, uh, and then they get a shot here in America. This is not true. They only get a shot to be free labor for the people that already have money. Then they can right. maybe work really, really, really. But still there's, I mean, I'm not going to say there's not opportunity here. Clearly there is, but I feel like they're shutting it down with them. Oh, well, Our liberties I mean, are being taken away. It's so scary. I mean, whenever I, I love it when people talk about, uh, can you hear me? Oh Sorry. yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, I love when people talk about, especially the Republican Party talks about, like, small government and what have you. But this has nothing to, I mean, this is not a form of small government, you know. And it's, you know. Yeah. We're just putting more a law laws. on somebody's body is not a, a factor of anything small. More laws, yeah. more laws. Well, and this is funny is that, so abortion was the, one of the first laws to go on the books was, uh, I guess, in 1820, and they said, well, you can't have an abortion after the quickening. And I'm like, what the fuck is quickening? And it's when the when the fetus starts moving around, when you feel the baby kick, that's the quickening. So really, it had to do with what the woman said. The woman dealt with her own body and her own feelings and went, uh-oh, the quickening is upon us. I can no longer get an abortion because the baby is now, quotely alive or whatever. Right. They did it off the, the movement of the baby moving around which the woman could say or not say happens or doesn't happen. But, but abortion was like legal for years. There was a whole, there was a whole economy in, uh, in Greece. They had this one island and it grew this um, anti-abortive plant thing. It's on all of their money. And it's like from 1500 BC. And their entire economy was based on this drug that helped you get a, an abortion. Wow. Right? It's like a plant. Wow. And but now it's extinct. It's an extinct plant, but it was on all of their coins because it was such a big part of their economy. And I just think that's amazing that 
it's 2017 and we're still worried about and now we have the fucking science like we've got the ru486 pill and boy did they try not to let us have that we've got the science that says oh you know you're pregnant really early take this pill and you don't have to ruin the next 18 years of your life that's exactly what i did i took the ru46 they should have called it RU86. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, um, RU486 in your baby. I say, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> your fetus, excuse me, I shouldn't say baby. Well, and but, the, Oh, go ahead. It, you know, I, I figured with the revolutionary factor of having that pill rather than having a, like, surgical procedure, which is something that I've, I've always been afraid of, but I, you know, I luckily was take, taking the pill at that point because it was an early trimester, you know, the thing is, like, it, it's not formed into the so-called life. Right. Well, it hasn't know? done the quickening. It's just cells. It's just chilling out. Even even you can go as far back as some of the, the very first um, Hippocrates, the guy who started the whole... Um, the whole doctor thing. And uh, even before that, the, the, the Stoics or whatever, the people, they, they believed that if the, the, the baby, the fetus, until it breathed its own air, was more like a plant growing yeah. inside you. It wasn't a livable, viable, living, breathing creature because it hadn't breathed air. So even like thousands of years ago, they were debating and discussing the origins of life and when it exists. And, uh, and they were like, ah, it's not really, you know, come on. It's not so that, I mean, it's basically that 20 week thing, but I mean, they're going to try, man. They're trying to roll back our rights. They want to, I just, I just find it amazing that, that they can say. What we have going on right now is they're um, doing hearings for the new Supreme uh, Court Justice, Neil Gorsuch. Such gore, such gore coming from Gorsuch. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I, he, for, you know, the thing is, I, from what I've read, he, he's, he's extreme pro-lifer and what have you, which, I mean, as, as a Supreme Court justice, you're supposed to be neutral. Yeah, you're not supposed to be an extreme anything. You're not yeah. even supposed to be like an extreme snowboarder because you have to live forever. So don't go out there and do anything crazy. Don't, you know, break your head on a tree. Don't be extreme at all. Don't be extreme about abortion. Don't be extreme. Be fair. Can't you just, yeah, why does it have to be like, I have extreme thoughts on abortion. I think we should overturn this women's rights issues. Uh, really? Well, the thing is, you know, even to how the way, you know, you know, Americans like everything extreme, even by the way we, our cars are very extreme. The way we eat is very extreme. The sizes of things are very extreme. You know, now they're making, trying to make, you know, certain laws and things in our land even more extreme, right? you know? So, I mean, it's telling times, but I, again, we always talk about the fact that it's the lack of education that people choose, you know, they have choices, so they'd rather choose to watch the Kardashians rather than choose to find out what's going on in your world and how it affects you because all this affects you. Well, everything was extreme. Remember when um, the supersized fries were, they were super, super size. I remember, God, those things were delicious. That's that's enough fries for four people. That's like a four person fry thing. And, but that was the thing they had to, we had to sue them for them to stop saying, would you like a supersized? Which is crazy to me. It's like, because we're so stupid as Americans that if you ask us to supersize, we're like, yeah, of course. Uh, Yeah. Absolutely. The more the merrier, the greediness. And, you know, even, I, I love that documentary. That, I'm glad you brought that up. 
because, you know, the fact of the matter is just like it affects our health. Oh, yeah. And when it affects our health, because you, you, you're basically getting yourself sick or killing yourself slowly. Right. And especially if you, you know, don't have good health care. Um, right. Or access to education. Or access to, you know. And access to all, healthy foods, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're all taxpayers. We, it all affects us. I mean, I right. hope all of us are taxpayers. <laughs> well, if you, whatever you buy, there's a sales tax on it. So no matter what, everybody's a taxpayer. Uh, but this is these are the new, I, I've been thinking about this this week a lot, is that we've created these diseases that are based off of excess. I watched um, one, one of the more recent hoarders that came out there in season seven. And in season one, they said, the music goes, there are over 2 million hoarders um, that have, they have obsessive compulsive disorder and this need for hoarding and they've, they're, yeah. their lives have become unsafe. Okay. So that was in season one. Then you look at season five and it was 9 million. And when you look at season seven, it's 16 million people. It's grown. It's yeah. grown just over the years because we've started recognizing it and going, oh my God, this is a big problem. This is a major mental health disorder. And it's insane to me because it's caused by excess, we are horrible people that we can't, like, here's the thing. I watched this thing, the Syrian refugees, there was some lady in this crazy, like, FEMA camp thing, and she was taking plastic bags out of the trash and cutting them into long strips, and then she's sewing them, uh, crocheting them into baskets, and then making a life for herself in a fucking refugee camp. And wow. we've got a lady in a and house in Virginia that have. can't move around. There's Very mice nothing, running through it. Anything. There's coffee cups. There's even you even know, if there were newspapers, there would be people. Know, the hoarding thing to me, you know, I I noticed, you know, I think I mentioned this before on the show. Like I I do have hoarders in the family, and you know I think you know when you have a certain lifestyle, it's so easy to overcompensate with so much shit that you have, or you use it as, you know, things of memorabilia of someone that you love. Right. You, well, you, repro- you replace the memory in the absence of the person and the feelings with stuff. And so it's, I mean, it's, it's not the healthiest way to deal with things, oh, but, no, but I mean, it's basically a huge denial. If you let your house get filled with stuff so that you have to have little tiny walk tracks and there's, I mean, it's just, it's really scary the stuff I've seen on hoarders it's it's unbelievable that this happens and that it's real and that they can ignore it and they'll live this way but the that's point call, that's a good call on the observation of like you watching the hoarders the first season to like the new season of how many now are estimated it's growing hoarders. so it's not so Disease is built on excess. One, we've got hoarding. It's a huge problem. There's 16 million people who have houses that they can't move around. They're getting sick and there's mold and there's dirt and detritus and it's disgusting and their houses are unlivable. Their lifestyle is unlivable because of their inability with excess or shopping or all these other factors, these psychological factors of having too much. And then we have diabetes. We have type 2 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes did not exist in children before 1980. You were either born diabetic or you didn't or you got it as an adult because of bad eating habits. But now we have a huge, we have tons of children with type 2, like late onset diabetes, but their children, it's supposed to be late onset. It's supposed to be something happens when you're 50 and you've been eating like shit your whole life. But suddenly. Under the age of 10. Right. Kids. Non-adults. There's no way that your your, your 10-year-old boy should have titties. Amen. Amen. But so not only 
you have obesity, which then turns into other problems because they get made fun of and there's bullying and there's blah, 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 and there's sizest issues and blah, blah, blah. But then they're completely unhealthy and we've created a whole disease and we've got a ton of people with type 2 diabetes. And these are diseases that exist because we as Americans, what, don't know how to say no because we just need more, more, more. Yes, yes, yes. Supersize it. Give me another pizza. Put the syrup on it. Like, what's wrong with us? Or what's even what's even more enticing, if you are, you know, low income, a lot of these places now uh, can take EBT. Oh, you know, yeah. we have that mm-hmm. uh, Burger King right over on Mission over there. They accept EBT. Yeah, they should. You do. know, so I mean, there's, you know, it, and the thing is, we know what we know what demographic of people that they're trying to hit. Sure. You know, because you know, people, poor people, can afford to get all their groceries that whole paycheck right you know and it takes but that's the thing if you want to make so the other day on Monday I made burgers for Jonathan because we had to go back to his house to do some stuff anyways so we went to Rainbow not Rainbow uh, it's called it's in Berkeley Bowl and I got a pound of ground beef so it was five bucks and I got you know, eight or 12 Hawaiian rolls. And that was, and then I got the cheese and I got an onion and a bag of chips. Turned out to be 14 bucks, but I used EBT and we ended up using it for two meals. So it was fine. But my point is that that was $14 on EBT. And then I had to go home and I had to put my onions and dice them and put them in a pan and I had to saute them down. And then I had to, you know, crisp up my Hawaiian rolls and I had to make my little tiny sliders. I made little White Castle slider burgers and I made, they were really delicious. But the thing is that it took me an hour, all told, to get home from the store, to unpackage everything, to get everything cooked and prepped. And, and I'm pretty quick at it. But if you're a mom and you don't have the middle of the day because you don't have to go into joke workshop until nighttime and you, whatever, you, you got your, you've worked all day, you've got to feed your family and you've got EBT. And would you rather go spend $14 and make dinner for the family that way? Or would you rather go to McDonald's or Burger King and be on the dollar menu and get 13 items for $14. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it just, it only makes sense if depending on your lifestyle, like my lifestyle is that, geez, I got time to go make a lovely little burger lunch, a little slider lunch for me and my honey. But that isn't, that doesn't have, if the kids want burgers, it's much easier to go get a hot burger, you know, for 99 cents on EBT than it is to actually you know, make it to, to, it's easier to, it's accessible to just run in, go get it. And then throw it on the table for your family. Rather or than eat like, in the car because you're going somewhere else. I right. mean, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of that. But again, there's a lot of lack of education and a lot of things in school that have been cut, such as how to meal planning, how to eat, yeah. you yeah. know, we come from a generation, probably the last generation to have home ec classes. Absolutely. You know, where you would have to learn how to cook certain meals. Right. And they were, you know, if there wasn't anything fancy, but you would have your, you know, a meat, vegetable, and some other kind of starch dish that right. you would have to learn how to cook or learn how to bake a cake. You know, certain exactly. things. Exactly. You know, well, and, how to use the talk, tools in the kitchen. about nutrition and, what you know, what's good for you, what's your vitamin D. But unfortunately, like, there's been so many cuts in the education system. Right. You know, parents don't know what to feed their children. Children don't know what to eat. They just know. Well, they want to eat what tastes good. And they're like, salt, fat. I mean, that's that's what the human body craves. We love salt and fat. Right. Just because it tastes great. But this is also something that, you know, Michelle Obama brought into existence uh, again when they first took the office in 2009 of, you know, getting 
healthy foods back into schools. Yeah. In yeah. which now, with the budget cuts that are under this administration, they're trying to cut that along with Meals on Wheels. That's a whole different other category. Right. But healthy food. The, the budget cut that uh, Trump and his administration have proposed are cutting these programs. And this is, and we're talking about diabetes and everything else. It starts at, it starts with right there with the education. It doesn't it does. just start with like, you know, okay, well, we're it's, just going to make McDonald's stop shoving food down people's throats. No, you have to know what to eat, how to eat it. how to And, eat and how to get, if you decide to have kids, how to get your kids to eat. So some people say, well, my kid just won't eat it. And I'm like, if you give them green things when they're a baby, they will eat green things. My exactly. little friend Sabine is 10 and she'll eat anything. You give her, because she just trusts that her parent, like I've been cooking for her for years too, but she has trust and faith that if her parent puts something in front of her, it's going to be delicious and it's going to be the only option and she's going to eat it. Like that's the way it is. Right. If you make and- broccoli the only option, you know what you can add? I love broccoli. You roast that shit in the oven, really high temperature with a little bit of olive oil and some sea salt, man. And it's good. Yeah. So. And you don't have to, you don't have to drench it with cheese whiz. That's like a oh, lot God. of people oh, my yeah, generation yeah. did. Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> a little, a little Pecorino Romano. I don't mind a little cheese on things now and then, but. Oh, well, yeah. I, you said Pecorino and Romano. I'm talking like craft cheese whiz. Right, right. There was. I remember, like, as a kid, like, sometimes my mom would do that, and I hated it. It was so gross to me because it didn't taste right. But there's a great way and an awesome way to have really good vegetables. I mean, ants on a log, that shit still happens. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the celery with the peanut butter and the raisins. Yeah. It's delicious. But, again, the education for a lot of parents and children are not there anymore because of, you know, the the environment and right. and and what we're bombarded with on our phones since our forms are our newest form of best friend media. I mean, I'm sure that corporations were super excited when we all had tiny TVs in our pocket. They're like, "Wow, we can get them all the time. We can we can attack them with advertisements all the time because they're constantly looking at a screen." It's just, oh it, yeah. I mean, it seems I, so funny to me. I mean, you can't even go to the movies anymore without seeing a commercial. You can't even watch YouTube anymore no, without a commercial. Your phone, on the side of your phone, on the side of your Facebook, on everything. Even right now yeah. on the side of my Hotmail that's open, there's mortgage rates, 3.2% APR. Like, there are, everywhere we look, there are ads. I mean, it's just, it's it's ubiquitous and scary. And that means they're making money off us. Exactly. And, and well, off of our unhealthiness. Off of, I just, I really... I'm wondering what the new diseases are going to be because we've already got the obesity. We've already got the diabetes. We, we've already got the hoarding for the mental side. Um, are kids' fingers going to start falling off and are we going to have to like make these weird attachments where it's like it's a new product to buy where it's like a fake finger that you can use to touch your phone because they give you cancer. Or, I mean, I don't know if they give you cancer, but there is a lot of radiation in touchscreen technology. And what if in the future everybody's fingers start falling off and it becomes like haute couture, you know? Like, well, she's using she's using the new knuckle, blah, blah, blah. Like, for people whose fingers fall off. People with fingers will be demonized. They'll be like, ooh, you don't use technology, do I, you? I think, well, I, I, think, <laughs> I think, in my opinion, the finger falling off is going a step too far. Besides, you already have Samsung phones blowing up in people's faces, so there. Ooh. <laughs> I'd like to watch some YouTube videos so, on that. On fire. <laughs> 
Well, thank you so much for calling in, Latoya. So, so I had something at the end. Person, but I will definitely be there next Wednesday. Awesome. Yeah, uh, totally miss you. Glad you got a new job. Hope everything's going well with that. And uh, that money. Yeah, I know. I just, <laughs> I, I, I just, I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to, everything right now in the world seems so unreal and hyper real. And I'm having like a really difficult time, like wading through the waters of truth. I, I, I just don't know what's real anymore. I feel like, I feel like things are happening, Jeff Sessions and Gorsuch and all of the new abortion laws and, and like what's happening, rolling back our civil liberties. And I, I See, it's we're so even scary. talking about the Russians right now invading our election. So I, I know. So there's the Russ. I mean, I have no idea what's happening in reality. Are we going back to more Cold War politics? Is the world going to explode? Why do we even have war? Why can't we? Who's mad at us? Why are we killing people? Why do we have to kill anybody? Do we? If we have, if every hoarder could just pair up with like four Bangladeshi families, they'd have enough. It's just, I, I imagine, you know, every time I watch hoarders and it's like this woman living in a three or four bedroom house and she can't get anywhere and there's a stuff's in the garage too. I'm like, how much stuff? It's like just a mess. someone could build a house out of the clothing that you don't wear. It's just such a mess. It's a hot mess. It's a hot mess. It's a mess, damn it. It's a mess. Well, you're not a mess. Um, I miss you, though. That's a different... I will be there, I promise. Awesome. And um, I hope to see you very, very soon. You will. Uh, Oh, yes. Awesome. Okay, everybody, that was LaToya, Sheriff of Truth. Bye, bye, everybody. Latoya, the Sheriff of Truth, winding out the end of the AltaCast here on a mutinyradio.fm. Coming up next is actually Some Call Me Tim. And uh, I have a pre-recorded one from last week with Jack Wheeler. Uh, but since Tim Pete's is coming in, I might just interview him. I think that might be a really fun time because we haven't seen each other in a while. We can talk about all kinds of stuff. Uh, hey, like Mutiny Radio on Facebook. Come to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse this week. It is a hell hat meaning it's going to be a lot of fun. So see you there. Five bucks. Uh, Go, gosh, be nice to yourself. Okay, that's all I got to say today. Bye, everybody. Can you tell me what food relieves insomnia, anxiety, stress, chronic brain, depression, nausea, and can induce euphoria and stimulate appetite? I'm going to guess waffles. <laughs> that is incorrect. <laughs> Actually, Alex, the food I'm talking about are cannabis-based medicinal extracts. Cannabis-based medicinal extracts? That sounds like you're smoking drugs, Ed. No, baby. There are smokeless, safe, and less expensive alternatives to smoke it. But can I use it to sleep? Yes, baby! Good! Because I'm so excited by this that I may never sleep again! And it sounds like you, Alex, may want to check out the number 4altacalifornia.com That's 4altacalifornia.com for a non-addictive pharmaceutical free alternative to smoking medical marijuana. Check them out today at number 4altacalifornia.com This is Tushar Matos with Mutiny Radio. Big up to the number one station that ruled the nation. 
Give it to me every time. Ah! Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.Evan. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere five dollars every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because five dollars, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere five dollars is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. Do you need an awesome and underground space for an event? Look no further than MutinyRadio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door in promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsadai at hotmail.com for more options and booking dates. Incredible socialist prices so you can be creative in a free speech space without breaking the bank. That's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event now. Trying to hurt me, but boy, how it burns me whenever she touched me. And oh, I feel so lucky. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRatio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk, MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Subliminal 
SF brings you visual and auditory mind control. For the best graphic design, physical merchandise, and live music promotion, go to www.subliminalsf.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and design for every need. So go now to www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. The second annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival is coming March 1st through 5th, 2017 to San Francisco, featuring 25 shows in five days and 50 comedians from across the entire U.S. From Washington and Portland to Los Angeles, New York to Indiana, Tennessee to Pennsylvania, these comics will join San Francisco's best underground comedians for five days of comedy at Mutiny Radio. All shows will be live streaming and available after via podcast at www.mutinyradio.fm. But see them live in our intimate 30-seat performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Mission, March 1st through 5th. Tickets available on our website, www.mutinyradio.fm now. Brought to you by our generous festival sponsors, Alta California Botanicals, Destiny's Mom, What a Tomato Produce Company, the law offices of John P. Strauss III, Asiento, Frufruha.com, Janky Town.